Welcome to Creek Over Coffee. I'm your host, Keith Harrison, and each episode I speak to a fellow teacher from Cherry Creek High School in Colorado about their classroom strategies and experiences. Today we have Joseph Duncan from the Science Department. Joseph, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Could you start by telling us what you teach at Creek? Uh, so I am in the Science Department. This year I am teaching CP Physical Science and Honors Physical Science. Very, very nice. One of the first things I want to ask you before I get into kind of more current COVID-related type issues is a way of testing kids that you shared with me last year. Mm -hmm. Could you explain that? Absolutely. I'm actually super proud of it. Um, And the kids seem to like it as well. So I started basically with how we assess uh, as teachers. And I feel like often it's just kind of a straight percentage. If I have taught... um, 20 pieces of information, then I come up with questions to test those 20 things. And if kids know 60% of it, then that's a passing grade and any more than that. Um, and that just kind of treats all information as equal. And I think that that is a flaw in kind of the, the concept of what we want students to know. I don't think that all information is created equal. And I would like to emphasize the information that I think is more vital. So in any given unit, I look at, if I were to interview someone on the street and say, and ask them a question about this unit, what do I wish that like an average educated human being knew about this topic? And I want to emphasize that. Um, and I feel like if anything gets emphasized on a classic exam, it's the harder material, the more niche things, because the more complicated a topic becomes, the larger the problems become more inherently. And so those larger problems are now worth more points because you want to give partial credit and all of that. Um, and so it, it kind of goes against what you're looking for. The, the more difficult stuff they don't know, the more their grade is hurt and the lower their grade is going to be. Um, and so I really, I really switched it so that in every one of my tests, there is explicitly labeled like a D section, like know this material in order to pass this test. And it's always very conceptual, very easy. And just what do I wish that just basic humans knew? Um, and then from there, it goes to a C section that, um, with science, that's often where you'll get some calculations, but basic calculations, no tricky stuff, no conversions of unit or anything like that. And then do a B section where you'll have unit conversions or maybe those problems where you have to solve one equation to get um, an answer that then you use for another equation, kind of two-step problems there. Um, and then an A section, I just try and make as crazy as possible, just um, really synthesize, put as many different disparate concepts into one problem as I can to really separate those kids that can synthesize, that really know the material. Um, I'll pull in stuff from other units in those tests and really just see where they know it. Um, and then I'll also push and make the assessment portion of my grades a much larger percentage because in the, in the classic um, testing, which I have done, which I did for many, many years, um, the, your homework and whatnot is kind of a way to bolster kids' grades. And then the classic testing works because the harder stuff is a larger portion. And so it's lowering them down to kind of a, a where their grade really should be holistically. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I like having assessments truly assessing what they know 
and not just kind of being a do they know the big stuff and try and kind of lower their grade to to create that that bell curve and, and distinguish between which kids know well and which kids don't. I prefer making homework work worth very, very little, and it really is just explicitly a practice. Can you learn how to do this? And the assessment is a true assessment. Um, and so my hope is that your class grade will be within 5 or 10% of your average grade on my tests. Um, and I've had good success with that. And, and it works out really quite well for a couple of reasons. Um, one, there, there's no trickery. I'm never trying to trick kids. I put out a review sheet um, that is very similar. It looks visually identical to my tests. I'll change numbers, change wording, that type of thing, um, so they can't just memorize uh, answers. Um, and then I will also give them a, a free retake um, because we have the testing center here in Cherry Creek, which is a phenomenal resource. Um, and that way, if you have some sort of silly mistake or a bad day and you miss a, a D section question, because because those are so vital, if you don't know that, then then your grade gets really tanked because you, you need to know that. Um, and so giving them one makeup just to kind of catch those silly mistakes. Um, so if you don't catch it on the review and you don't catch it on the test and then you miss it again on the retake, then then I don't think you did know this very basic information, um, and and then you have have that lower grade. Um, and with kids, they love it. Every time I have done this, kids in my class like beg me to get other teachers to do it because it's just so straightforward. And it's not that kids ace my tests; it's just that they know exactly how well they know the material. They're never surprised, and it's just so straightforward and fair. Uh, one of the classes I taught previously had a, a big final exam at the end of each semester and the kids always did so much worse in the final than they mm-hmm. had done in homeworks and tests and things and it's because we we kind of did the opposite of what you're doing we kind of threw the, threw a lot at them and a lot of it was difficult and of course it ended up with a lot of upset kids mm-hmm. so i'm assuming that reduces stress overall as it well. does and for the beginning of my career i was very much on the other side um i made my tests incredibly difficult um, with the express purpose of um, lowering lowering grades into like a reasonable class average. Um, I would have test averages of 50 and 60%, but I had a lot of systems in place to where that wasn't going to kill kids' grades. At the end of the semester, you would walk out and I would look at a kid and say, you're you're kind of a B-level kid and they'd have a B in class. Or like, you struggled a lot. You have a C. And I'd be like, well, you're a really good kid and you have an A. And it all kind of worked out. And I stuck with that for a really long time because, um, because it was my way of separating the really exceptional students from others and kind of creating that great distribution that we like. Um, and I had, a, I had pushback from students and parents and, and I never really buckled because overall, statistically, my, my grade averages semester by semester matched other teachers. They were good and they, they, um, they just, they did exactly what you wanted. They assessed kids and I really thought they were valid. And conceptually, they, they were valid and I was assessing, assessing kids well. Um, but I had kids just break down in tears mm-hmm. in my tests and I had kids stressing about my tests for weeks before and then weeks after and just, it was, it was, as far as assessing them, it was valid. But for a long time, I didn't give enough credence to the emotional damage I was doing to my students. 
Um, and once I switched to a new system of assessment, my semester grade distribution didn't change at all. I built my test to try and keep that overall distribution of kids that really know it get A's, kids that know it get B's, kids that are okay get C's, like get, keep that distribution. But all of a sudden, I have that same distribution and kids are like, oh, your tests are reasonable. Thank you. Would you please get everyone to do Like, it's just having the same assessment of kids without emotionally damaging them, I think was just an incredibly positive change for me. I think if we can avoid emotional damage, that's probably a good thing. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's switch to uh, stuff about remote uh, mm -hmm. learning. I've I've come across a range of approaches, including teachers videoing their in-person classes and then putting them online versus, you know, more kind of research-based and all that. So what kind of approach are you going to be taking this year with remote? Um, I am, I'm definitely doing the videos, but not videoing myself. Um, I think with the technology we have available, setting up a camera and teaching your, or, and videoing yourself in a classroom lecturing, you're going to lose a lot. Um, whether it being your camera needs to be close enough that you're getting writing on the board effectively, um, but then are you too close and you're missing the nuances of your teaching or you're back far enough that you can see all the stuff that you do as a presenter, but then the kids can't see the notes on the board. And it's just that I don't think it is as effective given all the technology we have. Um, so I use one video capture. Um, I know a lot of people use Screencastify. Um, you showed me a program called OBS, which is free and works out really well um, because then you can screen capture. And so I'll do PowerPoints or I'll do OneNote and just take the notes and kind of talk over it. Um, and then I usually record myself doing a little intro snippet um, before each video. And I think that's that's where I'm going. And so I'll try and have a few videos every week for them to learn material um, and then really emphasize working with them in class. Um, the idea that we would try and teach the material that we used to do in five days in two is, I mean, it's just impossible. Um, so knowing that I have to push content online, there really is the big push to flip your classroom kind of entirely and push most content online so that you can do the the hands-on activities, the working with kids with their uh, questions and, and building those connections, I think is is the most important thing to do in class rather than giving content because we have so little time with them that lecturing seems wrong. Right. And how are you dealing with the whole split, in the body being split into two cohorts um, in person on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday and Friday for the second cohort? Um, I'm trying to not split them, and this is still theoretical because we're just starting the school year. Um, maybe we can have a follow-up in a few weeks and see how it's actually going. Uh, but my goal is to have some sort of online content um, posted the previous week so that they have some time to watch some videos, get some content and whatnot, and then create two in-class lessons and two online lessons during each week, which are not sequential, so that I can be doing online or in person um, with the kids and it will all reference back to the material they've all already learned so that I can keep the cohorts together. I would really, really like to not create two different calendars for each of my classes. Um, and I know that every teacher is struggling with that concept and some have definitely just given up and said, I have, I'm teaching two classes like then, and we're going to see how it goes and hopefully they all end the semester test together. Um, and, and that is a totally valid way. I just really don't want to do that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping that it comes out okay. How does the hybrid model affect what you grade and how you grade? 
I don't know yet, um, and I am terrified of grading because grading is already an overwhelming thing, and then just getting slammed with huge chunks. Like I, I'll collect homework effectively once a week, and so here get all of these assignments once a week. Now grade it all, and also create online content, and also be ready for your in-person stuff. And 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 it's uh, it's gonna be a year. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> And um, perhaps last question: uh, You you are teaching two subjects in which mm-hmm. you, you you share that prep with other teachers. Mm-hmm. So how is the kind of collaboration going with your colleagues? Um, it's going really really well, uh, but because because there's no like right answer, um, I'd really hoped that we would be able to create. Um, just like one curriculum and that we all like take turns, like I'll create this week and then like everybody use it. And then we could kind of like cycle, um, so that you would really only be responsible for like every few weeks and that would really lower everyone's load. Um, but that is just a logistical night. Like there's just too many disparate views and how people are approaching it. And, and so we're working together really, really well and we're sharing materials all the time. Um, but as far as creating one cohesive unit, like just plan that everybody goes through, um, it, it just, um, I think everybody wanted to, but then what that looked like quickly became too difficult. And so we're working similarly, but not quite lockstep. How did your first week go? Um, it went really well. Um, in that I didn't really do any content. I just threw content out the window. Um, so I did the district collaborative stuff. Um, I teach freshmen. So we wrote the letter to their future selves and started the slow process of learning names and, and all of that. Um, so it was, it was fine, but didn't really do anything of the like getting your class like rolling. Like I didn't talk syllabus yet. I didn't put any content out. So it was, it was very much a phase in week. Getting getting everybody easing in, um, so super easy. But also, I don't know what I'm gonna like. How it's gonna roll once we get going. Yep. A lot of uncertainties. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Joseph. Thank you. Anytime. <laughs>